Thanks for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. Have you ever looked at a map of Charlottesville surrounded on all sides by Albemarle County and wondered why Charlottesville and Albemarle are governed completely separately? Maybe you moved here from another state and you were surprised to learn that your children would attend a city school rather than a county one. Or maybe you visited Northern Virginia and crisscrossed in and out of Fairfax County as you passed through the cities of Falls Church, Alexandria, and even the independent city of Fairfax, which is surrounded on all sides by the county of Fairfax. The answer is that cities in Virginia are independent cities. There are 41 independent cities in the whole United States, and 38 of them are in Virginia. So this week, we're going to talk about what they are, why they exist, and what they mean for local governance. First up, we're going to get the legal perspective from UVA law professor Rich Schrager. And in the second half of the show, we'll get a boots-on-the-ground perspective from Charlottesville City Councilor Juan Diego Wade. With that, I'll hand it over to our producer, Sadie Randall, and Professor Rich Schrager. Sure, I'm a professor of law at the University of Virginia School of Law, and I've taught local government and land use and property law for over 20 years. To start off, can you explain what is an independent city and what makes the system unique from others? In Virginia, we have independent cities. All that means is that the city is not part of the county that it's in. In most states, basically all states, cities are in uh, municipalities in a county, and there's some overlapping jurisdiction in those kinds of places. In Virginia, the cities are entirely independent of the county. They have an independent tax base and independent government. And so there are no overlapping jurisdiction in Virginia for independent cities. Could you speak more on the history of independent cities in Virginia? The history is a little cloudy. There's a little bit of research on this, and it's not entirely clear why the independent city became a form in Virginia. There are different, various different theories as to why that occurred. It got embedded in the state code in the Commonwealth, and so cities are permitted to have this independent status. Part of the independent city's structure is that these cities have city charters, which they are function of state law adopted by the General Assembly. How does Charlottesville's status as an independent city affect local legislation in regards to housing and taxation? There are some effects. Uh, One effect is that Charlottesville essentially stands on its own sort of tax bottom. There aren't county taxes coming into the city, although Charlottesville is a little bit unique in that way because there is a revenue sharing agreement with Albemarle County. So in fact, some money is coming from the county into the city tax coffers. But as a formal matter, because there is an overlapping jurisdiction, Charlottesville stands on its own and Albemarle stands on its own. Again, there is this revenue sharing agreement, so some money is coming in from the county. 
I know you spoke on this earlier. I was wondering if you could speak on what are some of the advantages to independent cities? One advantage is it's quite clear who's running the show when you have independent cities. There's not confusion about who's responsible for what kinds of services and so on. It does mean that the city and county aren't forced necessarily to cooperate, which goes to a disadvantage that the independent cities doctrine has. Cities can negotiate with their counties in creating joint enterprises or regional bodies that do certain things. For example, we have a regional library system that crosses boundaries in the Charlottesville, Albemarle area. The other effects are not particularly robust. Like we don't see a huge amount of difference between independent places like in Virginia with independent cities and other places that have cities that are part of their counties, except in the fiscal realm. I think that's the biggest implication. Based on research of Virginia and its counties, it's stated a government can only levy taxes within its jurisdictional boundaries, and in Virginia, a county's tax jurisdiction begins where the boundary of an independent city ends. What are some financial concerns in regards to the economic status of cities like Charlottesville that arise due to these tax boundaries? Yeah, so this is a bigger problem even outside of the independent cities arena, which is that Charlottesville's tax base is limited to the property that's in its jurisdiction, and Charlottesville's limited its ability to annex new land outside in the county because there are moratorium on annexations in the Commonwealth. So that just means that Charlottesville, which is a a small jurisdiction because of its boundaries, can't access certain taxable wealth that's in the county. The county is much larger than the city is and so has more property taxable wealth to access. That means the limited tax base of Charlottesville's limited tax base is a fiscal constraint on their ability to do lots of things. That has changed a little bit because the city has become more more wealthy, at least in terms of some of the taxable wealth that it has, because property values have increased in the last 15 to 20 years. But the limited property that Charlottesville encompasses still puts a constraint on their budgeting ability and so forth. Going off of your previous statement of taxable wealth, do you think that attributes to the housing crisis that Charlottesville has been facing? I think there's some relationship to it. It's very tricky. So I guess there are a couple of issues that are related to the housing affordability problem in the region, which includes Charlottesville and Albemarle and other outlying counties. The city is small, so it has limited property to develop. More can be developed, multifamily housing and so on. But nevertheless, there's a limit to how much land there is available for housing development and the choices that landowners make because they can choose to build housing, but they can also choose to build other things, right? And you need room for civic things like parks and other uses of land. Because property taxes are the main way that Charlottesville raises revenue for the city, it's important that those property values be high enough so that they can generate taxable revenue. On the other hand, as property values go up and tax revenues increase, but that can price people out of the city. That can be a challenge for the city. And so the city tries to address that through some kinds of tax uh, tax, property tax relief and otherwise, but state law puts some limits on the ability for them to do so. So that becomes a tricky problem. And so you get this issue, which is if you want to spend more money and you want to raise taxes, but you're raising the property tax, and that can be a struggle for lower income 
property owners or owner-occupied residents who don't have a lot of disposable income coming in. So there's some of that problem happening if you're an elderly homeowner without a lot of income, but you are sitting on a valuable piece of property, your taxes are going to be pretty high or relatively high, and that can price you out of the jurisdiction. So there is a relationship, obviously, between the property tax and the housing affordability issues that, we, that we're facing here and elsewhere, too. It's not just insurance. Based on the findings in a recent paper you wrote, Principles of Home Rule for the 21st Century, how do you see state supremacy creating a larger structural barrier for local governance? Thanks for reading that piece. I've been working with National League of Cities on these Principles of Home Rule, which is an attempt to revise state law and give more authority to local governments to address the problems that they're facing. In Virginia, we have a Dillon's Rule regime, and Dillon's Rule is named for a jurist from the 19th century, and it's highly restrictive of local power. It only allows the exercise of local power where the legislature has explicitly granted the authority for the locality to act. And that is, I think, a problem for local governments like Charlottesville and others in the Commonwealth who actually should be able to act before the legislature acts and address things like housing affordability and other problems in the city directly. And so I've advocated and been vocal about getting more home rule for Virginia cities, including Charlottesville, but other cities too, Richmond, for example. This goes back to the independent cities, which is if they're independent, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean very much. It just means that they're not directly associated with their counties, but it doesn't mean much in terms of their power vis-a-vis the General Assembly. And we should have a constitutional system or an intergovernmental system that gives more power to local governments, particularly our cities. And so the National League of Cities has backed that approach and the Commonwealth should do so as well. I was wondering if you could speak on the Tebow hypothesis in regards to how these independent cities across the Commonwealth can spread out their public goods that they provide. Well, so Tebow is a theory that developed by a scholar in the 1950s. The model was basically, how do we provide public services or what we might call public goods to citizens if we don't have a market to provide those goods? In the private market, when you buy something, you go and you choose the various goods that you want. If you go to the supermarket, you choose the cereal you want or you choose the ketchup that you want. Tebow was thinking, well, is that possible for the provision of government services? like education or parks or other amenities, trash pickup and that stuff. And economists at the time said, no, you, people just vote and then the voters get to choose you know, what level of spending they want from their governments and what kind of services to provide. But Tebow said, no, actually what happens is if local governments are providing those services and individual citizens can pick the local government they want and that local government will provide the types of services at the tax cost that they want to pay. And that's a form of what he called consumer voting. This has been a kind of a dominant idea is that people move to the jurisdictions that they want. And that can be bad in that they leave jurisdictions that are taxing them to provide other kinds of services that they don't want. And then often what we see is that the rich will flee a jurisdiction so that they don't have to pay for services for the poor. That has been a dominant idea in the second half of the 20th century. It is the basis for the idea of white flight, for example, from center, center cities, the idea that the rich will flee redistributive taxes. 
we haven't seen that so much in the more recent decades. We've seen lots of redistributive taxation in local governments. So the Tebow hypothesis in that respect hasn't been borne out. And so I think people do choose where they want to live based on the services and taxes that they're going to pay to some degree. But in other cases, cities also have the power to attract folks and keep them, even if taxes are a little bit higher or the services aren't exactly what they want, in part because people want to live there for other reasons. So what we've seen is that Charlottesville experienced a decline in population as people moved out to the suburbs, but now Charlottesville is experiencing an urban resurgence like other urban places where people want to be in the city and prices of housing aren't going up for that reason. But that also means the government has more resources to access. I think that's a positive outcome, although we have to deal with the issues of gentrification and housing costs that accompany it. Are there any other final remarks that you'd like to add for the listeners? Just to reiterate something that we already talked about, which is the independent cities doctrine is not itself, I don't think, a barrier to the cities accomplishing the goals that they want to accomplish, including affordability and redistribution and equity. I think more so, the bigger barrier is the lack of home rule in Virginia. And so you raised that point, which is exactly the point I think that I'd like to emphasize, which is that the Commonwealth should give more power to its local governments, especially to its cities, so that they can raise revenue appropriately. They can protect vulnerable homeowners. They can redistribute monies to increase equity, even as they develop and even as they get richer and even as they gentrify. We want them also to be able to preserve housing for lower income folks. And all of this requires that they have just more power to act. Once again, that was producer Sadie Randall and UVA law professor Rich Schrager. You can check out our show notes for a link to Professor Schrager's research and writing. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. Thanks for staying tuned. Now that we've got the legal background, let's hear what it's actually like to govern an independent city from Juan Diego Wade. There are few people with more hands-on experience negotiating the boundaries between independent cities and the counties that surround them. In addition to his service on Charlottesville City Council, Mr. Wade has served on the Charlottesville City School Board, and he's a 31-year employee of Albemarle County. He has also studied the subject academically and holds degrees in urban and environmental planning from Norfolk State and UVA. All right, here's Juan Diego Wade with producer Omega Ilovich. My name is Juan Diego Wade, and I am a member of the City of Charlottesville City Council, and I'm currently Vice Mayor. Um, I was elected this position in November of 2021. In your experience um, and to your knowledge, what is an independent city? They have the ability to make their own laws, have their own school district or police department, 
elect their own elected officials. They, if that's something that they choose, cities can also have um, agreements with surrounding counties for things like education and trash removal and things like that. Is you know each locality is is different as far as those independent cities as far as what they have and what they want to do. What makes this system of city governance unique from those in other states? So um, what I have noticed, because I have spent time in other localities like North Carolina, and there's some advantages and disadvantages. If you think of a place like Charlotte, you know, Charlotte and its localities combined with the, the county that surrounds it. And it's now like, you know, one of the major cities in the United States is able to have like big businesses. It's a big bank Mecca. They have a professional team. Here in Virginia, Richmond, I'm going to say, you know, is completely different from the surrounding counties around it. And they do things together, but it's not one big um, local government. The same here in, in, in Charlottesville and Albemarle. Charlottesville is completely um, independent from Albemarle County. And if you think about what we would look like if we were one locality, we would have one kind of local government instead of two um, city managers, um, two superintendents, two police chief and things like that. There certainly will be some savings there, but I think that we would look a lot more attractive to businesses and maybe we wouldn't necessarily be competing against one another because that's what's happening now. Not in all cases, but for some businesses want to move to this area and if it's the right fit, they could go to the city or the county and they have to make a decision that business. And But if we were together, we both could benefit from that. So part of me sometimes say that, man, what will we be like? And if you look at a place like Florida as well, Jacksonville and their surrounding county, Duval, they also are working um, together as one locality and they have like um, able to attract big businesses um, and professional teams and, and things like that. So Virginia is just really unique in, in that sense. Sometimes that works to advantages, but Sometimes it, it doesn't. So um, it's definitely a unique thing that we have here in Virginia. Why do you think there are so many independent cities in Virginia and not in other states? Well, I think that the way that our local government was set up, um, it uh, has a lot to do with it being, you know, one of the older states, the way the legislature is set up is that if someone wanted to change, they would have to go to the state to get that approval as part of that dealing rule. It just has um, make things hard to change here in Virginia. So you've talked a bit about how Charlottesville's status as an independent city affects your relationship with surrounding counties. So what are some ways that you all on city council work with Albemarle and other surrounding counties? Uh, what are some major joint initiatives? Yeah, good question. So I'm kind of unique in this because I'm actually a 31-year employee of Albemarle County. So I get to see the many things that we do together, like water and sewer, some road projects, many of, um, even though we have independent schools, we do many school projects together. We do transportation, public transportation together, like even though CAT is kind of part of the, the, is part of the city, but most of the expansion and growth is taking place in the county. So we work together. We work together in things like when we're creating long range transportation plans. So it's a lot that we do together, but it's not kind of the, you know, things that would get on the news. The only time you necessarily will hear about it is when things are going bad, when some and, and those things will happen in any relationship. You don't agree or see eye to eye on things. I, I see many um, advantages to it, and I think it's a good thing. When I was um, the chair of the school board, mm -hmm. you know, there was 
the, the times were going through a recession and money wasn't um, plentiful. And so there was talk from the public that why don't you combine the school districts? And that has been looked at from time to time over the years. A city and a county at the time, you know, their philosophy on education and priorities were a little bit different. The city just would not get the vote. If you think about Abermont County has like uh, uh, eight magisterial districts. Charlottesville would essentially be one of those districts and the voting power and things like that would be diluted. None of this was officially done, but this is kind of some of the direction and information that we were given as to why one of the reasons that we um, didn't pursue it is because one of the things that I think to make Charlottesville special is its education system and the way we can focus on smaller classrooms and walkable schools and things like that. And so I'm sure that it will continue to come up from time to time. Um, you just actually started to get into a little bit one of my other questions. So, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so how does being an independent city affect the school systems in Charlottesville and surrounding counties um, from your experience on the school board? Well, it's just that you can have your own voice. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, if we were part of, um, if we were to join Abermont County, most of Charlottesville, if not all of Charlottesville, would just kind of just be clumped into one district, likely called Charlottesville District or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so we could all vote for whatever we want, but we would just be part of a bigger system. And so, not unless it was some type of power sharing agreement or something like that, it would be hard to. Um, to continue to have that independent voice among the cities. We're fine financially, and it's a strong local you know, community that supports the city status. I just don't see it changing. It could happen, but I just, at this point, don't see it changing. <laughs> I know you've already mentioned um, some specific challenges um, and benefits that come from being an independent city. Do you have any other ones that you want to add? You know, I, I think that for me, the biggest benefit is that you can continue to have your own um, culture. As an independent city, you still will be able to have the rich history in cases that you are trying to attract some business um the Charlottesville, we're only 10 square miles in the county. For example, here is 700 and something square miles. And but it's certain ones that we can attract if we wanted to. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think this is a good topic. I think that this is um, something that I'm glad that the public wants to know more about. I am learning more and more about it every day as I'm on council. And um, hopefully in a couple of years, uh, be a lot more experience that to share with the public. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard. My name's Mary Garner-McGee. Our producers this week are Sadie Randall, Omega Ilovich, and Ashley Park. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Marin Alasco and Jay Pun. This is Charlottesville Soundboard.